listening to Good to Grow, a podcast for budding green thumbs. We'll dig into the fun, frustration, and science of growing your own food and flowers in Alberta. For even more tips, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow. Hi, I'm your host, Sandra Speronis. Harvesting season is here, which means enjoying all the tasty delights we've been growing over the past few months. It also means we should start thinking about prepping our gardens for the fall. Rob Sproul is one of the owners of Salisbury Greenhouse in Sherwood Park, along with his dad and two brothers. Together, they also run Salisbury at Enjoy, a garden center in St. Albert. We recently visited Rob at the greenhouse to talk about harvesting, garden prep, and the family business. Welcome to Good to Grow, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. So we've been tending our gardens all summer, likely sneaking a sample here and there as the weeks go by and we grow impatient. If you're a beginner, how do you know when your vegetables are actually ready to pick? Well, as a good rule of thumb, if they don't look like they should look for a vegetable, they're not ready to go. So if you pull up your little carrot and it's still, you know, pencil thin, it's not quite ready yet. If it looks like the cherries and the raspberries are good to go, chances are they are. Okay, so which vegetables are usually ready in August? So in August, basically, you're going to get a lot of your your leafy vegetables, your salad greens, of course. They've been, they've been ready on and off for a while. Your peas are probably almost past. Your beans are coming up re- really nicely now. Your bush beans and then your scarlet runner beans are going to, your pole beans are going to be after this. They're a little longer. Um, don't even think about your root vegetables yet. Your carrots, your potatoes, your beets those come later so potatoes are going to be like early september or so wait until the foliage starts to die back before you're digging them up um the carrots and beets honestly i wait for a first frost for any of that um absolutely it let them get nice and thick but do be thinning them do thin them out otherwise you're going to get get you're going to get the weird kind of carrot dance kind of wrapped around each other thing but your fruit your raspberries strawberries are almost done now but your raspberries are looking great uh if you grow saskatoons apparently they had an amazing year and the sour cherries in my yard are plentiful there was a big scare a little while ago during the big heat wave that the same thing would happen to us as happened in the okanagan valley where the fruit would literally cook on the vine um that didn't happen uh so thank goodness for that it seems to be pretty smooth sailing That's great. I was just going to ask, how have the heat and the smoking conditions affected this year's harvest here? There doesn't seem, of the fruit and edibles I've had in my yard, um, I don't notice the taste difference. If the smoke is really, really thick, the fruit can actually suck it in and can actually get a bit of a smoky flavor. And that's not good because that means it's sucking in all the micropollutants and all the nasty bits floating around with the smoke. So the plants, it didn't do the plants any favors. All that smoke, and I'm sure it didn't add to the nutritional content, but I don't see any problem with with the fruit. If you're unsure, give it a wash. And if any micro um, sediment settled on the fruit, you can wash it away with that. Right. Are there any tips or tricks that you can suggest when it comes to harvesting your vegetables? Like, do you need to pick at a certain time of day? Do you have to be careful, lovingly? So many tips and tricks and, you know, you got to pick on a full moon. You got to, you know, wear certain shoes. There's so many different things. A lot of people say pick first thing in the morning because there's a lot of sugars. A lot Then other people say pick at the peak of the afternoon because, you know, the sugars respond with the heat. Um, honestly, I can't think of any offhand that I really believe in. Just don't be in a hurry. 
don't be in a hurry. I mean, if you grow in the Brussels sprouts, wait. They're, you know, they're supposed to be ready for Thanksgiving for a reason. Uh, you know, your root veg weight, a lot of this stuff just hold off on. Um, not much is ready yet. Even apples are delayed uh, this year, so they're not quite ready. So, you know, be a little patient and have a few samples. But even like sour cherries, for example, when they look ready, they're nice and bright and red, like they're turning right now. Um, it's still a little while before they actually get really nice and sun-kissed and sweet. So it's that waiting game. It's also a bit of a gamble, hoping that we don't get a big hailstorm to wipe them out. Fingers crossed. Um, you mentioned apples are, are delayed. Why? Um, I think it was the heat, but I'm hearing from a lot of people that apples are, my apples are just past crab, crab apple size right now. They're just starting to pink. Um, so yeah, so a lot of, a lot of people are blaming the heat on that one. Okay. You mentioned for people to be patient and not pull up their uh, vegetables too early. How do you stop yourself from doing that? <laughs> you, you pull one up at a time. And so you pull one up, you see you eat it, and you pull the next one up, you see it's not ready, and you stop. Because I understand if you're growing your own food, there's a point of pride there. And it's a wonderful thing to do. It's just, what, a, what a sense of dignity. But, you know, you want it to be the best you can. So hold off a little bit. But certainly when things are coming ready, when your fruit's coming ready, things like that, do get in there and enjoy it. Raspberries are absolutely peaking right now. Get in there, eat them up. Uh, at my place, a lot of the fruit doesn't make it in the door. Um, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> of course. I know you can also harvest seeds from your garden. What do you need to consider if you're a first time seed collector? So there's a real science to collecting seeds and some plants you can harvest seeds, sometimes you can't. As a rule, the really fancy kind of annuals you get, the petunias, the bacopa, kind of the designer bedding plants, you won't be able to harvest seeds. They're going to be pretty sterile. They've been so stretched out genetically, they don't know which way is up anymore. Um, so the, the ones to harvest seeds from are the more classic perennials. And, you know, the poppies are the classic because you get the poppy head, the poppy falls, it dries, and you harvest, don't harvest the seed again, don't be in a hurry. For poppies is a good example because you wait until that head is brown and when you shake it actually sounds like a baby rattle. That's when the seeds are ready, when they're hard and dry. Other than that, honestly, a lot of times, like in my garden with uh, perennials, we choose a lot of really naturalized perennials. I just let the birds and bees do it for me, scatter the seeds around. And unless you want to take them to a specific spot, then you can take them and sprinkle them. But otherwise, if you let all these perennials just do their thing, they'll spread on their own. What about vegetable seeds? Can you collect those as well? You can to a certain degree, but it's, it's difficult. It's a real science. And a lot of the vegetables we grow are hybrids. So they're not going to develop true. So they're not going to develop and give you the same kind of fruit, if any fruit and all, at all. The seeds you want to, you want to harvest from are heirloom types. So heir, like, for example, heirloom tomatoes. Those are the seeds you can harvest from. If you try to go to one of the more modern hybridized tomatoes, you're not going to get the same tomato when, when you plant the seed. You're going to get something different and it's going to be disappointing if it gives you any fruit. Okay. And when you, should you collect those seeds? Basically, so if you're collecting seeds, say from a tomato um, or a pepper or what have you, an heirloom type, you know, you cut it up, you eat it, you save the seeds, you kind of poke the seeds out, put them on some paper towels, let them dry completely and just store them there in a cool, dark spot as you would a potato until, well, until spring. Okay. When should you start prepping your garden for the fall? I know that's the topic we don't really want to discuss, but we should. We should. I mean, again... I'm not in a big hurry for that. I like, you know, enjoy your garden. 
you got another month of good and good garden enjoyment ahead of you and good solid healthy growth before the cool nights start to turn things a little sickly so enjoy that garden when you start prepping for fall um would just be after you harvest so after you harvest all of your salad greens after you harvest all of your you know brussels sprouts or carrots or what have you go back after and just claim and when when you harvest for fall you want to do a good thorough weeding right i'm not one to get in there and dig up the soil you know and just go after with a shovel or something like that because the worms the good things in the soil that have developed there you want to keep that intact and all that kind of microfauna on there you want to keep all that intact because that's going to keep it healthy that's going to keep it going if your soil is too sandy amend it with some uh, compost or steer manure you can do that if you do that right at the end of the season in the fall you don't have to worry about in the spring when it's frozen so you can get right to it in the spring when you're impatient so if you do that in the fall especially if you've been growing the heavy feeders there corn peppers tomatoes these things suck the life out of soil and so you want to amend it like that the next year try growing beans there because the beans will actually put nitrogen back into the soil with the nitrogen fixing and basically and then you can take a moment to take a good long look at your garden where things are and what the issues have been so if you have tomatoes in one corner and they had slugs move the tomatoes so when the slug eggs hatch you want them to starve right so you don't want tomatoes there for them to eat if you had potatoes in one area and you had potato scab move the potatoes and start that small scale garden rotation and move things as far away from each other as possible so that the pest has a different host that it doesn't know what to do with and it'll help clear it'll help clear that stuff up for you right and should you protect your garden with like maybe blankets or mulch or straw or anything no, in the winter, absolutely not. Unless you have tender perennials in there. If you do have tender perennials, like I have strawberries in raised beds and they're right on the end. And then when you have plants in raised beds, they tend not to survive the winter because they get that lateral freezing from the side. They don't have the insulation of the soil as, as thickly as they would if they were planting the ground. So if, if that's the case, you know, try to like, you know, some people put burlap, wrap burlap around the raised bed or even bubble wrap or something like that try to create an extra put a blanket around their roots a little bit um when you're going and start watering your plants typically our falls have been very dry start watering your plants water your trees your birch the poor birch right now so give your birch some water give the fruit tree some water your willows um and get some of that water up into those branches where it belongs because you're starting after you know mid-august that plant is starting to go sleepy time and so it's starting to really um bring everything up um and that it bring up that water etc that it needs to you're lucky because salisbury greenhouse is open all year round you can escape to the greenery when everything else is white and cold what's it like to work in the middle of all this during winter months it's pretty cool i gotta tell you it's there's some pretty special of, you know, 40 degree morning at the end of January, walking here and kind of being in the middle of the tropics. I mean, anyone can come in here and have that experience. We have more houseplants than anyone. So they just come in and kind of walk around. We had our firstborn uh, middle of December and we would bring them in for that kind of vitamin D. And, you know, I see a lot of parents actually doing that coming in in the winter and kind of give, giving the baby some sun or just getting some sun themselves without frostbite or coming in to walk the dogs when it's really cold, things like that. So there's a lot of that. A lot of customers kind of refer to us as the free mutart 
Um, so there's a lot of that happening and that anyone can kind of just come in and hang out. Sounds like a good idea. Let's dig into Salisbury's history a little. Your grandparents started Salisbury more than 50 years ago. What inspired them? Um, well, my, so they had a house on the property, the house where my dad grew up. And my grandma started selling cut flowers in the early to mid 60s, just as a hobby. My, gran- my grandfather was a butcher, Fred. So he built her a little hobby greenhouse. Uh, her name was Helen. Uh, they both passed now. Um, and she started growing cut flowers in the hobby, gr- hobby greenhouse. And she started giving them away to her friends and this and that. And then one fateful day, a friend wanted to buy some off her. And that was that. And then the, a few years later, uh, that became a bit of an enterprise. A few years later, my grandfather quit his job and came to help. And that became Salisbury. And it was small scale for a while. When my father bought it in 78, the emphasis was really shifting towards um, brokering tropical and house plants to a lot of the uh, department stores around the Woodwards and Eaton's of the day. So he would bring house plants up from Florida and then broker them out that way. And in the 90s, um, we made the shift to retail and we stopped wholesaling. We made the shift to retail only and start thinking about kind of, you know, customers through the door. In 2006, my two brothers and I bought into the company. And of course, this year we acquired Salisbury at Enjoy at the Enjoy Center in St. Albert. So, you know, as another sort of big step. How involved were you as a child or how much time did you spend in the greenhouse as a child? I loved it here. I was here a lot. I mean, this is really the source of um, uh, imagination and dreams, you know, with all the plants and things like that. I worked here as a kid um, just as a summer job or what have you. I went to university. I, tr- I studied in uh, drama and English in university, actually. I got my master's of English and um, came, came back into the business, uh, you know, full time. And I uh, decided to make a career out of it. What inspired you to come back to the business? You know what? It just, it just felt right. It just felt right. And it felt, um, it, it, just, it just felt like it was sort of... Uh, you know, I had other jobs. I may, I really wanted to go out and get other jobs and uh, um, some interesting jobs for sure. Um, the But it felt right to come back here. And, uh, um, you know, they met a girl I wanted to marry, who's now my wife. And uh, so it felt like something I could raise a family with. Right. Do you ever do any theater on the side? I don't. I don't. No time for that right now, but um, I hope to get, I'd love to get back into community theater or something at some point. You should stage a play in the greenhouse over the winter. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) What do you like about gardening, Rob? You know, I really just like the, um, the peacefulness of it. Um, I love the, the sort of the dignity of growing and just that connection with the earth. There's something, um, you know, fundamentally empowering about gardening, something fun. Well, I mean, it's science now. I mean, there's a microorganism in soil that has the same effect on your brain as Prozac. And it's just, you bring it in topically through your fingers. So it's gardening itself is an antidepressant. And it really just connects us with the earth. It, you know, it gets us healthy food that we normally wouldn't have had otherwise. And now we have, you know, three little kids kind of ages one to eight, and they get into the garden and that's a whole different kind of wow is watching them engage with the strawberries and you know going through looking for the carrots and things like that nice Uh, making connections and building communities i know are also important to you what are some of the projects you've been working on well you know 
the idea of community is really important because a garden center to me is is a unique business because it, sh it, it is a community hub. A garden center is, I see it as a meeting place of the community. Um, yeah, we've, we've done a, we've done some things. Um, the, you know, about ooh, nine years ago now, I started the Salisbury uh, school gardens project. So we started putting raised beds and uh, um, two kind of eight by four, I think raised beds in schools who applied for the project and uh, no cost to them. We partnered with the County of Strathcona. I think they are in 24 schools now across the county. Um, now, of course, with the Enjoy, we want to expand that to other counties in the region and the capital region and kind of really grow programs like that. We've sponsored the Enrichment Garden at the zoo uh, for a number of years, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, and you know, um, amazing stories from that, like growing a pot of uh, stevia, which is kind of the sweet herb, but a non, no calorie sweet herb uh, for Lucy, who loves sweets, but was, is a diabetic. And so, and seeing Lucy come along and just wrap her trunk around that pot and just rip it to pieces and, and really enjoy it. So, there, you know, there's just been some, yeah, some wonderful outreach there. How did you go about designing the enrichment garden? It was a work in progress. We worked with the zoo. We worked with the um, uh, with the Edmonton Horticultural Society, and honestly, it started out as a few beds, and then it turned into ten, and now I think it's about twenty. Um, and it's it's just a great thing, and they they grow a variety of food to feed the animals, but also to provide stimulus for the animals. You know, the, the corn husks go to, I believe, the monkeys um, who just, you know, they love the texture of them. So there's a whole bunch of things that they, they do with this stuff. I know a lot of Albertans started gardening for the first time during the pandemic. What do you think will happen once life slowly returns to normal? Well, that's been the big question in our industry is all these people who have come into gardening, what's going to happen? And I'm of the opinion that... Um, COVID-19 will have the same long lasting um, sociological effects as 9-11 20 years ago. Um, when 9-11 happened, you saw the emphasis move from gardening for public spaces, uh, front yard, for example, kind of to keep up with the Joneses, the emphasis moved towards the private space. The world became more dangerous. People went into their private space and they started gardening more in the backyard. They started using containers. They started growing more food, that kind of thing. So you really saw the growth of, um, you know, food gardening um, in, in containers, not just kind of in the back 40. You saw the growth of, you know, annuals over uh, in the backyard as opposed to the front and a lot of different kinds of garden design. And so what I see now is now, and I tell my staff this, um, is that, you know, garden centers now we're not so we're not as much in the gardening industry as the mental health and wellness industry. So now people are gardening as as a release as, as medicinal, largely for anxiety issues that you know a lot of times stem from COVID, um, and they've retreated even more into their private spaces. And what we're seeing now is um, as as the province opens. People are staying in their private spaces because they've rediscovered them and they've rediscovered some of the joy there and some of, uh, you know, some of that dignity of growing. A lot of people now, the people, if you didn't have success trying any of that, a lot of people just, you know, some people just gave up. But 
Um, most people, honestly, it looks like they're sticking with it. They're investing in their yards. They are more concerned about issues like privacy. Um, and a lot of the new gardeners are millennials. Um, a lot of men, it's traditionally been kind of a um, boomer woman, um, you know, industry. The industry is becoming uh, younger. It's becoming more um, uh, culturally diverse, for sure. Um, and it's becoming, um, and more people, you know, more people, you know, it, classically gardening has been sort of an upper middle class uh, industry and more people um, in lower income brackets are coming in, growing their own food and really seeing the value of that as well. Right. It really answers the question of food security. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you look at these, um, you know, community gardens in the middle of food, urban food deserts and things like that. It plays a pivotal role. Right. I know Salisbury is offering free workshops over the next few months at both locations. What are some of them and how can people sign up? So the workshops, yeah, workshops are something we've gotten really famous for. Um, we do probably more workshops in any garden center in Canada, maybe North America. Um, and there's terrariums and flower arranging and um, cat gardening. Cat gardening is very popular. <laughs> you plant a little garden for your cat with cat grass seed and lemongrass and things like that. And uh, we partner with a used to be scars. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year, um, but basically we always bring in a cat uh, and the cat always goes home to a, a lovely home. Um, so it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And so that that's there. It's all at salisburygreenhouse.com, all the different workshops, things like that. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rob, for your time. Thank you very much. Rob Sproul is one of the owners of Salisbury Greenhouse in Sherwood Park and Salisbury at Enjoy in St. Albert. Growing your own food or flowers? Drop us a line at goodtogrow at ama.ab.ca. We might feature you in a segment we call The Plot Thickens. For this segment, we want to hear about your garden. We want to know what you're growing, what gardening means to you, or any questions you might have about growing food and flowers in Alberta. In this installment of The Plot Thickens, Allison tells us about her Monstera. My name is Allison and I am a green goods worker here at Salisbury, but I get my hands dirty with any type of plant that I think I can handle. <laughs> I like seeing progress. I like having something to give back and starting something with super small, growing it super big, very uh, forgiving and gratifying and fun. I love house plants. My room is covered in plants. Pothos are my favorite. Same with ZZ plants because you can leave them be for months at a time and they won't die. They <laughs> live forever. And then vegetables, I like tomatoes and basil and mint and strawberries, all sorts of things. I'm currently growing a monstera plant from like super duper tiny, maybe like two inches tall. And now it's about, I don't know, six, seven inches tall with lots of new leaves coming in. And I'm excited to see where that one takes me. I think it'll be very successful and fun. They usually, they can get to be like six, seven feet tall and then lots of leaves. The leaves are as big, bigger than dinner plates with lots of splits in them. So it'll be super cool to see that happen. Thanks, Allison. Share your gardening adventures or questions with us and you might be featured in an upcoming installment of The Plot Thickens. Send an email or voice recording to goodtogrow at ama.ab.ca. Thanks for listening to AMA's Good to Grow podcast. I'm Sandra Speronis. Happy gardening. 
Good to Grow is produced by the Alberta Motor Association. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For even more gardening tips and tales, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow. Thank you.